Welcome to Straight Money, the podcast where two insiders give you the straight goods about investing and financial planning with no sugar coating. This podcast is brought to you by Easy Insurance, Vancouver's premier digital life and health insurance agency. For free life insurance quotes, go to www.easy-insurance.ca. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Straight Money Podcast, where two insiders give you the straight goods on investing in personal finance. My name is Yermaya Dharani. I'm a licensed insurance professional, and I'm sitting over here with certified financial planner, Cam Respondek. Cam, how you doing today? Good, man. Good. It's a nice day out here. We're ready for summer. So uh, let's get you guys some information. Sounds good to me. You know what? I'm really excited about this episode because uh, there's a ton of information that we're going to be giving you guys. So I hope you guys are ready. But before we get into it, I just want to quickly review what it is that we talked about on the previous episode. So uh, in case you guys missed the previous episode or just to give you guys a recap, you know, we talked about the three stages of financial prosperity. We talked about achieving financial security first, then becoming financially independent second, and then becoming financially free third. And we talked about how people usually like to skip all those steps and they they're thinking that they can just go right to the financial freedom without doing the first two steps. And, you know, we talked about how there's a process that has to be followed. But in this episode, specifically, what we're going to be talking about is just the first stage and the actual nuts and bolts and the things that we have to actually do to be able to achieve financial security Cam. For sure. Let's get into it. All right. So when we talked about financial security on that first episode, we talked about how financial security achieving that was like a two step process. Okay. There was an income protection portion of it, which basically was making sure that, you know, if something happens to you to uh, specifically health wise, like an illness or an injury, that your income was going to be getting replaced. And then the second uh, portion of it was uh, making sure that there was an emergency fund in place so that if there was some unexpected expense or something that came up that you weren't using your credit cards basically as an emergency fund. So in this particular episode, because we don't want to, I mean, there's a lot of information and I want to break it up. So in this particular episode, what we're going to just be specifically talking about is how to set up an emergency fund. Okay. We're going to talk about how it is that you can start saving for it. We're going to talk about which accounts you can use. We're going to talk about how much money, you know, do you need to have in that, in those accounts and how the funds should be invested. All right. So let's get right into it. First of all, I want to define what uh, an emergency fund is. Okay. So, you know, once again, we talked about it in the first episode, but we define an emergency fund as having three to six months of either your expenses, you know, level one or your income level two. So, for example, if a person was earning $3,000 a month and they had expenses of $2,000 a month, then they would want to have between six to $12,000 in an account that they could access at any time in case there was an emergency. That's level one. Level two would be where they're covering their entire income, not just their expenses. So same example, gentleman was making $3,000 a month. 
you know, they would want to have between $9,000 to $18,000 set in an emergency fund set aside that they could access at any time in case there was an emergency. Okay, so now that we've defined what an emergency fund is, let's get into the nuts and bolts of how it is that we can actually set one up for ourselves. Here we go. Alright guys, so let's get into it. Now I want to talk about a concept with you guys that I truly believe is a life-changing concept if you can grasp it. And basically what this is, is the concept of paying yourself first. Now I'm sure that you know you guys may have heard this catchphrase before, pay yourself first, but I'm going to actually get into exactly what it is that somebody means when they say that you should pay yourself first. Okay, so the way that most people usually do it is you know, they're going to get their money. You know, they get paid every two weeks to get their paycheck, right? Uh, some of that money is going to be going, you know, on their bills. Uh, then after that, what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, spend money on whatever it is they need to do. They're going to buy AirPods. They're going to go out for dinner or something like that. And then if there's any money left over, that's what they're going to save. Okay. So that's how people traditionally do it, right? Now, remember on this podcast, we oftentimes talk about how we want to do things the opposite of how other people are doing it. We want to go against the herd. We want to be contrarians. Okay. So what we want people to do is the exact opposite. So instead of paying all of your expenses, paying your bills and saving what's left over, what we want you to do is we want you to save money first. Okay. Then pay your bills and spend on your lifestyle from the money that is left over. Okay. So when we pay ourselves first, think about it like this. I mean, you know, people are so eager to, to pay everybody else, but if you make, you know, money, doesn't matter how much it is, whether you make $3,000 every two weeks or $10,000 every two weeks, you know, if you are left with no money at the end of those two weeks, you're basically right at the same spot that you started initially, Cam. Absolutely, and I wanna stress that this one change is gonna make a massive impact on your finances. You're just switching in the order in which you're paying yourself. It's the same amount of money coming in. And we see so many times, and you probably see this too, Yerm, and, and you know all of our listeners and, and people in the world that are dealing with this kind of stuff where your friend makes $5,000, but he spends $5,000 or even more than 5,000. And then another person, maybe they're making 10 or 15,000, but they're spending 10 or 15 or even over that are going into debt. So just the, because you make a certain amount of money, it's what you do with that amount of money that actually matters and is going to make a huge difference. So the goal is if you're spending 3,000 and you're increasing your income by double, you want to still be around $3,000 in your expenditures or maybe four or 5,000. But you don't want to just basically make 10 and spend 10. You're basically living paycheck to paycheck every single time, no matter how much you're making. So you may think that you have a good career and a good job, but you don't have anything because you're still in debt. This is exactly why. And a lot of people will skip this step of saving uh, for an emergency fund. And I think the you know biggest proof of that is the coronavirus. And we touched on this in the first episode a little bit is... Look at how quickly 
people were already going into insolvency and bankruptcy. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay anything. You know what I mean? Within a couple of weeks, that is absolutely insane. That that this much of the population of North America is a couple of weeks away from being completely financially like obliterated, and it's shocking to me. So people are doing things the opposite way. Like you said, we want to be in that you know top five, ten percent of people who are doing things and making smart decisions. And not like everybody else. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, you know, we, I was talking to Yerm, and we're both fine. But that's because we prepared for it ahead of time and for、mm-hmm. years, right? We have the financial knowledge, and like I said, this is an opportunity for a lot of people that are in a position that they put themselves in because they've made the proper arrangements ahead of time. So、uh, this is a huge step. Everybody skips it because it's you know it's, it's boring, but.、Uh, You know what's not boring?、Uh, being in a pandemic and being able to survive. Exactly, exactly. You know, if I work at McDonald's or if I work at as a doctor, you know, and I'm working at McDonald's, I make seven hundred bucks every two weeks. But I'm working as a doctor and I make ten thousand dollars every two weeks. If I spend all the money that I make, I'm no better off than if I was working at McDonald's because I'm not actually moving forward in my life. You know, if、exactly. I make ten thousand dollars, sure, I earned a lot of money, but I gave it all away. You got to understand that this world that we live in is such a material world. Everywhere we look is a different advertisement and a different message that's trying to tell us how it is that we should be spending our money. And what most people do is they they go and they work hard. They they trade their time for money. They work hard. Their most valuable asset that they have is time. They trade that for money, and then they take all of the money that they get, and then they give it to other people, right? What I'm trying to say, and what Cam is trying to say, is that when you trade your most valuable asset, time, for money, well, you know, make sure that some of that money you give to yourself as well, okay? And that's the whole idea of paying yourself first, right? Now I want to basically touch on why it is that it's going to work out better if you pay yourself first and spend what's left over, as opposed to spending money first and paying yourself what's left over. Okay,、mm-hmm. and it it comes down to something called Parkinson's law. So Parkinson's law actually is something that was you know invented to talk about. Uh, time management. Okay. Basically, it states that the the amount of time it takes to complete a project, right, is going to depend on the amount of time allotted for that project. So let me give you an example. If I give myself six hours to record a podcast, it's probably going to take me six hours to record a podcast.、Mm-hmm. But if I give myself thirty minutes to record a podcast, <laughs> then I'm probably going to record a podcast in thirty minutes. Okay. Right, you're gonna get it done. And similar, I mean, everybody who's been through any kind of edu- you know school or high school, everything, you're gonna be doing things last minute. You're all of a sudden writing, you know, ten, twenty page papers in a few hours. Exactly. Where, where you give yourself two or three months, it's gonna take you two or three months to write it. Right. So this is the same kind of an idea. Absolutely. And then, how does it apply to your finances? Well, it applies to your finances like this. Okay. Our expenses increase with our income. Okay, if I'm making five thousand dollars three years ago, you know, and I'm living paycheck to paycheck because I haven't, you know, figured out the pay yourself first idea.、Uh, three years later, I keep getting increases in pay. Now I'm making eight thousand dollars a paycheck. But guess what? 
my expenses somehow have gotten higher as well. Okay. So Parkinson's law, you know, has, has to do with finances as well, because the more money we make, we will find a way to spend that money. Our expenses will increase with our income. Mm -hmm. So the reason why paying yourself first works is because we're able to drive a wedge into Parkinson's law, because when you start to save money before you spend it, what you're actually doing is you're learning how to live on what's left over. You know, you're not going to become financially secure, financially independent or financially free in this life if you're living even within your means. See, a lot of people are living above their means cap, but you know, some people say, oh, you got to live within your means. Well, living within your means just means you're not getting into debt. If you want to be right. wealthy, you got to live below your means. Okay. And it doesn't need to be a huge sacrifice, but that's the reality of the situation. You need to pay yourself a little bit. You need to do something with that money so that it grows so that you're no longer trading your time for money. You're trading money for money cam. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, just to be clear with people who are listening, when you say below your means, some people might think, oh, we're going to have to live basically like in poverty. You know, we're going to have to eat ramen noodles. And that's not uh, what we're saying. What we're saying is if you make $50,000 a year, you shouldn't be driving a car that's twice your income. You shouldn't be driving a $100,000 car, right? Mm -hmm. That's living above your means. You shouldn't even be driving a $50,000 car. I'm not saying drive the worst car, but drive something that is in proportion to your income, something that makes sense, right? A lot of people, like we, again, we mentioned this in the first podcast episode are trying to show off and uh, that's not getting them anywhere. That's just stupid behavior. That's childish behavior. And um, the problem is that society reinforces that type of behavior. But we want to get away from that. We want to actually make you wealthy. We want to actually make you rich. And this is the first step on how to do it. Exactly. And you know what? Um, if financial prosperity is not something that's that important to you, then don't listen to what it is that we're saying. <laughs> okay, but if it is important, then, you know, make a decision, make a decision to, to learn these concepts that we're talking about and to start applying them. Okay. So, so what is a good amount? What is a good amount to save? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so honestly, a good amount to save <clears throat> is about 10 to 20%, you know, of what you make. So for every dollar that you make, you want to put 10 cents, you know, 10 to 20 cents aside, right? It doesn't mean huge sacrifices or something. You know, but uh, for every dollar that you make, you want to put 10 to 20 cents aside so that you can put it towards your financial prosperity, right? Now, ideally is about 30%, okay? If you ask me, right, um, you know, what the right answer is, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say 30%, okay? But I'm in the industry and I, you know, believe in these concepts a lot more, you know, right. than, than some people may, right? Um, but uh, I think that, you know, anywhere between 10 to 20% is a great start as well. Um, but if you've got a lot of debt, right? Now I know that I'm saying that, okay, you know what, save 10 to 20%. I know that there's probably some people out there that are saying, okay, you know what? Oh, becoming financially secure is gonna be easy if I was able to save 20% of my money. But, you know, I, I just don't have the, the income, you know, my expenses are so high, it's not possible for me to save the 10 to 20%, okay? Right. So 
what my suggestion is at that point is to save less than that. Save 5% if you can. And if you can't save 5%, okay, then save 1%, okay? Anybody can save 1%, right? Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to, you know, open up an account and automatically start saving at least 1% of your income. Even if you believe that you can't save anything, I want you to start saving 1%. And then I want you to start putting that 1% aside. And then also, I want you to look for any other bits and pieces of money that you get. For example, you go pay for something cash, you get a little bit of change, put that change in a jar. You know, at the end of the month, take all of the change that's in that jar, add that along there with the 1%. You know, you get some sort of a, uh, a rebate or something from a company, you know, uh, you get some sort of a, a tax credit back from the government, you know, uh, or like a check in the mail, or you get some birthday money given to you, you take that money and you add it to the 1%, okay? And what you're gonna start to notice is that that 1% is gonna start to grow really, really quickly. And then you're gonna become encouraged. And then when you become encouraged, you're gonna start to notice ways for you to be able to save more. You know, one of my mentors uh, by the name of Jim Rohn, who's a, who's a huge guy in the personal development space um, and is passed away now, <clears throat> he has a famous saying. He says, you go the direction that you face, you know? And what that basically means is that you don't have to, you know, achieve your goals immediately. You just have to take actions towards your goals. No matter how small those actions are, even if you start saving that 1%, saving that 1% is what's gonna get you to that 10 to 20% in a little while. You know, Confucius, Cam, said that a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Absolutely. And uh, to to go on what you said there, when we're talking about debt, like the, the statistics are that there's so much debt, you know, especially as a Canadian, uh, we hear that our debt loads are so incredibly high. And, and like you said, how do we save if we're in debt? Well, and, and what your MI says, save even 1%, it's, it's for the mental state of saving. It's the action of saving. That 1%, that's going to take you on a path forward. And we were talking before this podcast uh, a couple of days ago and uh, discussing actually, that, you know, if you have debt, that's 20, 30% credit cards. Obviously, you want to pay that, those off as fast as possible, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be saving anything. And, and Jeremiah made a good point. He said, look at how companies operate. Multi-billion dollar companies all have massive amounts of debt, but that does not prevent them from expanding their operations and growing their business. If they were only paying debt all the time, they would never make a profit because they would be dying. If they're not growing, they're dying. And that's the same thing for us as individuals. We need to be doing the proper actions and we will see the proper results into the future. Now, you know, how do you reduce, or how do you make money? And, and Jeremiah already touched on a lot of good points. And I always say this is that most people are spending way too much money on things that they don't need, things that don't bring them value and only make them happy for a few seconds. And I'm not just preaching from a pedestal here. I do the exact same thing. I go, I buy something. I'm so jacked up to buy it. And then, you know, maybe it brings me joy and happiness for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And then I don't care about that thing anymore. And I'm thinking, what's the next thing? And the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that never ends. And that's okay to do 
if you are already kind of in stage three where you have the money to be able to fuel that kind of behavior. But when you're just starting out, you really need to be applying these concepts so that you can reach stage three because you're not going to reach stage three without doing these small things at the beginning. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? <clears throat> it's not uh, it's not a decision. It's not that, oh, you know what? I can't ever go out and have dinner again. It's no, all that we're asking is just take a, a fraction. Just take a small percentage of what it is that you earn and pay yourself with that money. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 if you take my advice, the worst thing that'll ever happen to you is that you'll save way more money than you ever thought you would. Okay. That's the worst thing that can possibly happen if you take our advice. Right. Absolutely. The worst thing that's going to happen is that the pandemic comes or the next thing comes and you and your family are going to have plenty of money to get by on. Like that's, that's not a, that's not a bad, bad thing for being a worst case scenario. Absolutely. And then, you know what? I, I touched on this in the previous episode, having money in the bank, you know, is something that gives you confidence. Having money in the bank, it gives you a certain feeling, you know, it makes you feel better right? It, it, it makes it so that pretty much everything else that you're doing in your life is going to be improved. You know, if you like, let me give you an example. Say, for example, you work in sales, all right? You're trying to and your livelihood depends on some commission income, um, but you've got no money in the bank. You're absolutely flat, flat broke. You're going to come across as being desperate, you know, and, um, you know, clients or, or you know, buyers, Uh, are almost like dogs. They can smell weakness, you know, (laughs) and they will smell that desperation on you and you won't be able to, uh, you won't be able to make sales, right? Uh, And the same thing goes with almost anything else that you're doing. You know, the fact that you're not handling this part of your life, the financial part of your life is going to, is going to bleed through in other parts of your life. But if you are taking care of it, the opposite will happen. And you know, you'll start to see success in pretty much everything that you're doing because you will be more confident, right? Absolutely. Okay. Now, so what if we talked about saving 1%, you know, but how is it that you can find a little bit more to save, right? So if your expenses are so high and you can't find a say a way to save, how is it that you're going to do it? All right. So, you know, what we put our focus and our attention on grows. All right. So the first thing that you want to start doing is you want to start tracking where it is that your money is going. You know, don't be one of those guys that's like, I don't know where it goes. I just, oh, it just goes. I don't know where it goes. Well, you know (laughs) what? We'd love to have you run our corporation. You know, you don't know where it goes. Why don't you come run our company for us? You don't know where it goes. Exactly. So don't know where it goes is not a is not an empowering stance to have when it comes to your finances. So the first thing that you want to do is start tracking them. You know, this could be as simple as downloading an app like Mint. You know, Mint is a very mm-hmm. good app. Uh, it's a free app. You you download it. You connect it to your bank accounts, and then do all of your shopping through your your uh, debit card, right? And then it'll automatically show you where your money is going. So it'll show you that okay, you know, thirty percent of your money is going on. Uh, food and beverages, Uh, 20% of your money is going on transportation. And then that'll show you, okay, that's where my money is going. So now you won't be in the, I don't know where it goes camp anymore, right? Exactly. A lot of these banks here too, they already have these things in place. I I know Mint is a tremendous application for that. And a lot of the banks already have these. I know my bank already has uh, a whole whole section where it tells me uh, the breakdown of where all my money's going. 
And the funny part is people will spend eight hours a day watching Netflix, but they won't spend half an hour sitting down and just writing down all the different things that they're spending money on. That, that's one of the most common things actually that I hear from people is they have no clue how much money they're spending. They have an exact uh, knowledge, they have the exact knowledge of how much money they're bringing in after mm-hmm. tax, but they can never ever tell me how much money is going out. And that is, uh, that's just a fool's game. You know, when, when these people look at successful people, like what are the odds that these people who are successful haven't done these kinds of, you know, uh, things in the past where they're actually constantly monitoring and tracking what they're spending. That's what a business is, Mm -hmm. right? That's what a business is. You work for whoever, you know, is listening, you're working somewhere. That business, I guarantee you, has a tremendous amount of data and statistics on exactly to the percentage, you know, to the decimal, what is happening, what are you doing, you know, what each individual is bringing in, the value to the company. They have data and statistics and all this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying you need to have, you know, crazy data analysis, but just basic things. It takes, you can literally probably do this in 10 or 15 minutes because it's not going to be that many item points. But write this stuff down or you're going to be screwed. It's as simple as that, you know, like you can't even do that. If you can't spend 10 minutes to write down what your expenses are, then you should just quit now. You know, like you're, you're never going to get anywhere with that kind of attitude. Absolutely, because you know what? Uh, Becoming financially prosperous is a mindset more than anything else, actually. You know, uh, it's incredibly simple to do. It's absolutely incredibly simple to do. I can tell you that it has never, ever in the history of mankind been easier to be financially prosperous than it is right now. With the tools and everything that are in place, like Cam said, Mm -hmm. every single bank has these budgeting tools available. You know, it's so easy for people to be able to invest money, to have access to capital markets, to invest in businesses that are growing, you know, their income and like, you know, find a financial advisor, get access to information like you guys are listening to this podcast. It's never, ever been easier. And, you know, like I said, uh, I truly believe that, you know, if a person doesn't achieve financial prosperity in their life, you know, it's sort of it should be considered like a failure uh, in their part because, you know, uh, the responsibility was on them and the capability 100 percent was there. You know, I, I mean, it's a different story if we live in like Bangladesh, you know, if right. I lived in Bangladesh, you know, um, and the people listening to this podcast are living in Bangladesh, then it's going to be a lot tougher. But if you live in North America, you know, this is um this is the the land of opportunity you know there's an actual statistic that says that a person who's an immigrant is three to four times more likely to become a millionaire a self-made millionaire than somebody actually that was born here Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because the people that are born here they take everything that we have for granted you know absolutely they they think that everything should be handed to them. But somebody that's an immigrant comes over here and he looks around and he looks at it like, you know what? The streets are paved with gold over here. Opportunities just abound everywhere and they actually seize the opportunity. So guys, it's a mindset. Start looking at it. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. You can do it. Make the decision, all right? So we talked about, okay, focus on your expenses, focus on where the money's going. Now, once you figure out where the money's going, you're going to be able to know where to cut. But I'm going to give you a couple of hints on where you can start looking. 
Number one, start looking at your subscriptions. Anything that goes automatically, you know, um, like for example, your cell phone bill, um, you know, call your cell phone company up, you know, spend 20, 30 minutes with them one time and just say, hey, look, you know what? I get an 80, $90 bill every month and uh, it's a lot of money. Is there a way for me to save on my bill somehow? And they're gonna wanna keep your business, believe me. You call them up like that, the first thing that they're thinking is, if we don't reduce this guy's bill somehow, we're gonna lose him as a client. So you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna find a way for you to save about 10, 15 bucks a month on that bill, right? Do that with mm -hmm. every single one of the bills that you have, right? Then uh, look at look at other subscriptions. You know, look at your, your subscriptions like Netflix, you know, you got Netflix and then, you, you know, uh, you're paying 15 bucks a month for, oh, then you got Amazon video as well that you got, that you pay 15 bucks a month for. And yep. then you pay 40, 50 bucks a month for cable. Well, do you really need all three of those? Is there one of those that, that you can go without? Cam? Absolutely. You know what? I can go without any of them actually. And I, I we have, I have Amazon video cause I have Amazon prime and I have Netflix, but I don't use it that much. You know, and, and now we have Disney Plus for some reason. We mm -hmm. gotta get rid of this stuff, right? Absolutely. These are blood suckers. Oh yeah, and people have, I mean, cord cutting is, it's funny because, uh, and I can do a whole spiel on this, which I won't go into. Basically what has happened is that people have replaced cable with all these different services. And often the cost of these services is equaling more than cable ever did because mm -hmm. they're, they're, it's all split up, right? Oh, five bucks for Disney over here. Oh, okay, $10 for Netflix, $15 for Spotify, you know, $99 a year or whatever it is for uh, Amazon Prime. So once you add all those things up, it often becomes more. And that's how they get you. They compartmentalize everything. So be careful, right? You, if you have, you know, a hundred expenses and they're all $5 each, you're spending $500. It's just simple math. So Yerm is absolutely right. You don't need five streaming services. Uh, you know, you don't need multiple things that are essentially giving you no value and are just sucking up your time. Exactly. It's like death by a thousand cuts, mm -hmm. you know, and these are little blood suckers that you don't notice the 12, $15 here and there. But if you add them all up, you find out it's like 5% of your income, you know, yeah. and like you're halfway there to the 10% if you were to just cut a few of these things. Okay, exactly. <clears throat> now, the next thing that you guys want to uh, take a look at is just your discretionary spending. So, you know, like like for me, uh, one of my uh, biggest uh, flaw, my weakness, I should say, one of my biggest weaknesses is that I out, you know, I love to dine out, mm -hmm. go to dinners, right? Uh, I love to eat lunch, you lunch know, out. <laughs> I've been, exactly, exactly. Um, I've been saving a lot of money because of uh, COVID-19 because all the restaurants <laughs> and everything are shut down. Mm -hmm. But uh, take a look at that. You know, how much money are you guys spending on, you know, going to restaurants and stuff like that? Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have to go to restaurants, but instead of going to a restaurant two, three times a week, maybe you go once a week. You know, maybe you have date night once a week uh, with your partner or your spouse or something. Um, but and there's a lot of money that can be saved over there. Okay. Absolutely. And the decision, you know, it's always about decisions and the decisions and lifestyle. It, it's really up to you. I mean, if you want to continue to go to three dinners a week, then that's fine. But know what you're giving up on the other end for it, right? There's always that equation, that formula that we have to do in our minds, which is what am I going to get right now? And if I sacrifice this right now, what will this bring me into the future? 
right? So if I sacrifice one dinner and one streaming service and, you know, the other 10 things that you're going to cut back on, what will that allow me to do? Not tomorrow, but weeks, months, and years from now. And because of compounding and things like that, that we'll get into in the future, that answer is tremendous. You know, you don't need to smoke 78 cigarettes a day, smoke 46 cigarettes a day. You know, it's just about moderation, cutting back, and then reaping the benefits into the future. Exactly. No, you know what? You made a, a tremendous point right there, Cam, because it's not just about, oh, am I spending $20 a day? You know, I choose to spend $20 a day uh, on this lunch or something. And oh, all that I'm sacrificing is $20. No, that's not exactly true. What you're sacrificing is $20 right now. And then the opportunity cost of what that $20 is, you know, mm-hmm. several years into the future. So if you'd taken that $20 and you'd had invested it, you know, uh, in the S&P 500 or something like that, you know, the 20 years from now, that $20 would be worth like $250. So when you're sacrificing $20 right now, you're not actually sacrificing $20, you're sacrificing $250 that you would have had, you know, had you not spent this, right? Mm-hmm. So know. if exactly. you start, absolutely. So if you start looking at it like that, guys, then it's going to start to make more sense to you. You know what? We promised you that we were going to give you the straight goods without sugarcoating it. And that's what we're doing right now. We're giving it to you straight, guys. And, uh, you know, this is the longest segment of today's podcast but I really wanted to drive this point home. Pay yourself first, guys. Make the decision, okay? Imagine how it is that you're gonna feel. Imagine how good you're gonna feel when you got G's in the bank. Imagine how good you're gonna feel when you got thousands and thousands of dollars in the bank and you've got options, you know? Your boss is a dick, screw him, you know? Mm -hmm. Find another job, right? You have a great idea, you know, you wanna build a great business, terrific. The money's there for you, you know? Your options are open. Life throws you a curveball. That's all right. Already planned for this. Already got an emergency fund. Okay. For sure, man. So if you guys want to get more information about this concept of uh, paying yourself first, you know, I recommend reading a book called The Richest Man in Babylon that was written by George S. Klassen. Um, I'll put a, a link to this book in the description in case you guys want to find it. And uh, this is a terrific book. It's a very short, short read. It's only like about 100 pages. It's written in a story format, very, very easy to read. Um, and I think that, you know, you guys will really enjoy it and take the time to read that book if you guys can, okay? And we'll get into the next segment, which is how to make it automatic after the short break. All right, guys, welcome back. Okay, so, all right, so we decided that paying yourself first, uh, first is uh, is very, very important, okay? So we understand the concept of paying yourself first. Now, how do we do it, okay? Here's how we do it. We do it by making it automatic, okay? This is the key to success with that particular concept, all right? We've gotta make it automatic. We wanna basically create a system that is kind of like a set and forget mechanism all right so that you're not you know having to make a decision every week oh you know what should i be saving no no the amount that you're saving is going to be predetermined and then some sort of a mechanism is going to be set up through your investment account 
or in a, a financial advisor or through your bank where that money is automatically going to be coming out of your account and going in to a separate savings or investment account. Uh, and that happens automatically. Okay. And, um, you know, the reason why you want to do this is just simply because you want to live your life. You know, you don't want to spend so much time. You don't need to, like I said, becoming financially prosperous is super simple. You just got to make this decision. So what you're going to do is you're just going to set it up so that ideally right on the same day that you get paid, you know, uh, in fact, some employers even have payroll deductions where even before you get paid, the money's being put aside into certain accounts. Uh, but ideally the same day that you get paid is the same day that that money goes somewhere else. Okay. And then this is going to make it so that you're never going to miss the money. Right. And it's going to make it so that it happens. Ken. Absolutely. And it's kind of the reverse of uh, like paying a bill or paying a subscription, right? Your Netflix comes out, you know, your 15 bucks a month comes out automatically. You don't even think about it. And this is just the reverse. You're putting that money uh, into yourself versus uh, it going out. It's coming into you and it's going to be um, out of sight, out of mind, right? You're not going to forget about it. Most of the time that people don't take action and I'm the same way and everybody else is the same way is because we just forget. There are so many things that are going on that smaller things like this are basically not at the top of your mind, right? You're trying mm -hmm. to think of how to get your kids to school. You know, you got meetings, your kids are sick, you know, your wife or husband needs this or that. I mean, there's a million different things that we need to focus on every single day that this kind of stuff just is not that important in the sense of our uh, prioritization for the day. Because we think of, okay, what do I need to do today and tomorrow? And automating this is actually uh, really nice because what you're gonna find is you might actually even forget that you're automating this at some point. And mm -hmm. then you're gonna come back to it six months later and be like, oh man, holy shit, I didn't know I saved this much money. This is awesome. And maybe it's going to spark you to actually increase uh, that savings rate as well. So there's nothing uh, that's negative about this. It's just going to help you um, complete this process way faster. Absolutely. And you know what? Just going back to Parkinson's law, remember how we talked about your expenses rise with your income? So we're taking advantage of Parkinson's law over here because we're doing the reverse of it. You know, uh, because our income, it's not that our income has lowered, but the amount of money that we have to spend is lower. We will find a way to get by on how much we have. So for example, if I'm making $5,000 every single month and I've decided that I'm going to save 10% of it, right? The moment my money goes into the account, $500 is put into a separate account. Now I've just got four and a half thousand dollars left. And what's going to happen is I'm going to just get used to basically living off four and a half thousand dollars and my lifestyle and everything is not going to be affected at all. My standard of living is going to be exactly the same as it was before. So we're using Parkinson's law to our benefit because now we're getting two birds with one stone. We're getting the lifestyle that we were living before, but then at the same time, we're making sure that this money is getting saved, Cam. Yeah, and you know, I have uh, insurance policies on myself and, and those come out at a certain day. And I've had it for so many years now that I don't even think about it. It's not functioning and you know, it's not, uh, it's not a calculation I make when I even budget anymore really, because it's just something that happens automatically. Like I know I have to have money in there for that, but it's automatic. It's a part of my life now. And there's nothing wrong with um, setting it up in this way. Uh, the other thing, uh, when you look at this automation is 
your ability to get out of your own way, right? Mm. Like when we leave things to ourselves, to humans, essentially, things tend not to get done. That's just simple as it is. And that's for everybody, you know, no matter what your wealth level is or, you know, intelligence level or, or anything like that, we are an inefficient uh, species when it comes to that kind of stuff. And because of the overload, like I mentioned before, it's just something that goes uh, by the wayside. So get it out of your mind, get it set up automatically, and you're going to benefit from it. Absolutely. You know what? We're not robots, right? If we were robots, uh, <clears throat> it would be easy. It would be easy to save and invest money. It would be easy to do these things. But we're not robots. We're human beings. So it's much easier for us. You know, the vast majority of people that have attained financial prosperity have done it using a system like this, where they pay themselves first and then they make it automatic. Okay. When we do that, we're not leaving it up to ourselves. See, when we leave it up to ourselves, then it's it's uh, something that we almost leave up to chance. Uh, it's something that, you know, we're deciding about every single time. Maybe I, I wake up one morning, uh, you know, and this weekend I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Oh, this weekend I really want to take this, this good looking girl out on a date or something like that. Oh, you know what? I really like to have some extra money in my pocket instead of saving my money. And then I decide that week, that I don't want to save my money. That's not what we want to be doing here. This is not something that we want to be deciding about every single week. This is something that we want to decide once because it's so important. It's super important. You guys know how important it is. Those of you that are listening to this podcast are listening to this podcast for a reason because you want to move ahead in your life financially. So you know how important it is to handle the financial side of your life. And if it really is as important as you know it is, then make it automatic. Don't leave it up to yourself. Don't have any second thoughts about doing it. You know, don't put yourself in a decision, in a position where you can make the wrong decision by choosing that you're not gonna be doing it anymore, all right? For sure, and, and it's a mindset at the end of the day. And people think that, okay, this money's going to this account as if it's like going into the ether, you know, it's gone. You're just, you're, it's, it's your money, you're keeping your money. Uh, you know, you're not spending it, even though it kind of feels like it. Sometimes when you even invest like in any of your registered accounts or for retirement, it almost feels like you're spending money, right? Like, oh, you made a big contribution two, three thousand dollars for your uh, tax deductions. It's almost like you're spending it because you can't use it anymore. And that's the wrong kind of mindset. The mindset is, is that this is going to bring you way more into the future. You're basically, you know, it should it should be a good feeling that you're doing something for yourself instead of a bad feeling where you feel like you're spending it. Exactly. You know what? It's like the game of Monopoly, guys, right? In Monopoly, the key to the game is to just keep buying investments, just keep buying, 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 <laughs> buying, buying. You know, you don't you're not going to do you're not going to be very successful at Monopoly if uh, if you're not buying investments. You know, when you come across an asset, when you land on that property and you don't buy it, Right, that's not how you win the game of Monopoly. So what you want to be doing is you want to be buying, 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 buy every other week, you know, buy every month. It should be on a schedule and it should be automatic. Okay. Um, and you know, if you guys want to get some more information about just the idea or the concept of making it automatic, there's another terrific book about personal finance called The Automatic Millionaire. It's written by David Bach, and we'll make sure that the link to that particular book is also in the description of this podcast, guys. 
So after this, so now, so we've talked about how important it is to pay yourself first. We've talked about how in order to do it properly, we got to make it automatic. Now, after this short break, we're going to get into how it is that we should invest this money and where this money should be invested. So hang tight for that, guys. All right, guys, here we go. So we figured out that we got to pay ourselves first. Okay, we've gone and, you know, we figured out what that amount is that we're going to pay ourselves. Then we've gone ahead. We've we've set up an automated mechanism so that we don't have to think about it anymore. And our financial future is virtually guaranteed at this point if we just basically stick with that and we've made it automatic. Okay, now the question is, now that we've got this money that we're saving every single month, how is it that this money should be invested and where should we be investing this money? Okay. So I believe that this money should be invested no matter what. I know there's some people, some advisors out there that, um, and uh, first of all, I just want to use this as an opportunity to say that everybody's situation is unique. Everybody's situation is different. I know that we're giving you guys actionable information, you know, but you know, we recommend uh, speaking with a financial advisor about your own unique situation. Okay. Absolutely. And that goes for, you know, anything we say, all these concepts are general concepts, but, um, they're solid. They need to apply to you directly though, because everybody's different. Absolutely. Um, and so I, but I truly believe that even when you're saving for an emergency fund, I know there's some people that say that, okay, you know what? It's an emergency fund. Just put it in a savings account. Okay. Cause you don't want the money to lose value somehow if the coronavirus or something like that happens in the future. Uh, but you know, I truly believe that the money should be invested because if the money isn't growing, it's dying. And the reason for that is because, you know, about 15 years ago, I used to go uh, to the gas station and I would buy a liter of gas for 33 cents a liter. Okay. A um, couple months ago, I was paying about a dollar and 45 cents a liter. Okay, for that. Uh, I used to buy um, a can of pop for 50 cents. You know, now I buy a can of pop for like a buck 25, right? Yeah. So that's inflation. That's the, that's the rate at which the price of everything is going up. And if you are the type of person that takes your money and you like to put it underneath your mattress, well, that the, the rate at which the price of everything is going up is actually eroding the value of your money. Okay. And so you should be, inflation is not a huge amount that you need to overcome. You know, it might only be about one to 2% per year, but you need to be seeing a return on your investments that at least keeps up with inflation so that your money is, is, is not dying. It's still growing cam. And that's a no brainer, right? And, and a lot of people do want to have it just in cash. I think what's more important is having it liquid right? You want to have access to the money versus having it in cash. That's a lot more important. So you don't want it sitting in something, uh, even though it's safe, like a, a GIC that you're locked in for five years. That's not a good investment to have an emergency fund in because you can't access that GIC most of the time, right? And inflation, like you said, it's, you know, one to 2% historically. But if you really look at it as a concept over a 20 year period, 2%, that's a 40% erosion of money. So, you know, 
in 30 years, your $1 million that you might save might only be worth um, four or $500,000 of what it can actually buy you. Um, and you definitely don't want to be too aggressive either. The reason for that is if there's a market crash and you need the money to fix a boiler or something, whatever it is, whatever the emergency is, you don't want that $20,000 you have saved in your emergency fund to now be only worth $13,000 and you have to take it out. So you've taken a $7,000 loss. It kind of defeats the purpose of the emergency fund, but you absolutely want to have it invested in something, something that's a conservative, uh, you know, style mix. And you want to make sure that it doesn't erode, like you said, right? Because, you know, today's dollar is worth more than a dollar down the road. Uh, that's why you usually get a discount on certain things when you pay up front because the money that you're paying for these services and to these companies that are giving you that discount is worth a lot more today than it's going to be in the future. So you want to basically use these concepts that these companies are using, but to your own benefit. 100%. You know what? Uh, you really hit it the nail on the head there, Cam, because first of all, the key to where it is that you want to be investing the money or keeping this money is that it needs to be liquid. You know, being liquid means that you need to be able to access this money at any time within a few business days. So you don't want to, um, you know, put this money in like a property or something because it could take three months or six months mm -hmm. to sell a property if you needed it. So it needs to be liquid. And then once again, although you do want to see some sort of a return on this investment, you don't want to be trying to hit any home runs with it. Okay, because you never know when you're going to need this money and you don't want to have to take this money out if, you know, uh, you don't want to call your financial advisor up and be like, oh, you know what? Oh, it's an emergency. I need to take this money out. And he tells you something like, oh, you know, really, it's really a bad time to, to sell your investments right now. We don't want to be in that position, not with our emergency fund. Okay, exactly. That's uh, that's dead on. Absolutely. Okay, so you know what? All right, we're going to get into this in a lot more detail later on. But right now, I just want to touch on this concept because we're starting to talk about investments and what sort of an asset mix you should be looking to have uh, for your emergency fund. So I want to talk about what the difference between a stock and a bond is. Okay, so everybody has heard about the stock, you know, market, um, you know, not that many people may understand what a bond is. But basically, the difference between the two is the difference between owning a business and loaning people money. Okay, uh, if I decide to become an entrepreneur and I decide to own a business, right, that is something that is a little bit riskier than if I was to loan somebody money. If I was to loan somebody money and they were to secure that money, you know, with some sort of collateral, right, um, you know, that's not as uh, risky of an investment as if I was to own a business per se, because when I invest money in a business, you know, that money is not necessarily collateralized by something and the business could go down and I could lose all my money. But if I loan money to somebody, say I loan Cam some money, I loan him $5,000 and he says, okay, you know what? Here's a, a promissory note that is like a legal document that says that if I can't pay this $5,000 back to you, you can take my car that's worth $5,000, right? Mm -hmm. That's obviously a lot safer, you know, of an investment for me than if I was to invest it in a business. Now, Cam, while I loan Cam this money, he's going to agree to pay me interest until he repays the money back to me in full, okay? That's what a bond is. Now, 
obviously, if I was to go into business for myself, right? Uh, say, for example, I was to, uh, you know, spend five thousand dollars uh, and buy a car that was like a fixer upper, you know, uh, potentially I could fix that car up and maybe sell it for eleven thousand dollars. But who knows? Maybe that five thousand dollar car that I thought was worth five thousand dollars. I look underneath the hood and it's got a lot of stuff wrong with it. It's going to take me ten thousand dollars to fix. And then I'm only selling it for eleven thousand. So, you know, owning a business is riskier. Owning a business is the same as owning a stock. OK, loaning money to people is safer. That's the same as owning a bond. Now, my potential rate of return is going to be higher if I own a business than if I own a bond cam. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But those are th that's basically the two the two asset classes out there, the main ones. And so because we talked about how we don't want to be trying to hit home runs with this money because this money is for your emergency fund. We don't want to be having any more than say 25 to 30 percent. I would say 25 percent is the max that you would want to put into stocks. The rest of the money should be invested in short term bonds. You want to be buying bonds that are obviously of good solid companies and or, or governments, right? Like you don't want to be investing in like Venezuela bonds or Russia bonds or stuff like that because those can take a massive hit, right? So there is risk there as well. But, you know, like Jeremiah said earlier, speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about. You know, just because you hear, oh, buy bonds and you buy, a, you know, a stupid risky bond, you know, don't come back here blaming us. You need to do some due diligence, do some research. Um, but the concepts are, are sound. We're talking about an asset mix, okay? So it's a lot when you're just starting out and you're only saving a few hundred dollars a month, it's going to be very difficult for you to create some sort of a portfolio. OK, uh, and so you want to use what's called diversification, which basically means not putting all of your eggs in one basket. OK, you don't want to, you know, put everything into into just one stock, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in the stock market. So this is where using a financial advisor, you know, is going to be very, very helpful to you. But essentially what you want to do is you want to put the money into some sort of a fund, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's a segregated fund or whether it's an exchange traded fund. This money should go into some sort of a fund, because when you put money into a fund, you're going to be own owning, you know, either dozens or hundreds of assets. And that way, if one of those assets goes to zero, it's not really going to affect your money very much, basically because you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So now that we've got that figured out, so what, you know, we got to pay ourselves first. We know that we got to make it automatic. All right. And now we've got this money, we're putting it into some sort of an asset mix. We, maybe we've talked to a financial advisor or we figured it out on our own, you know, if, if we want to. Um, and now it's like, where is it that I'm actually going to be housing this money? Okay. This money, what sort of an account should this money go into? Mm -hmm. Right. So listen, if you're if you're an American, so, you know, I'm over here in Canada, you know, Cam is a certified financial planner. I'm a financial advisor as well over here in Canada. OK, but I do want to emphasize that, you know, we specialize in the Canadian market. And so if you are over there in the US, the information that we're going to give you is going to be very, very correct. But once again, we do recommend that you find an advisor over there that can tailor a financial plan to your unique situation, right? But if you're an American, look to use your Roth IRA, 
Okay. Uh, the reason why is because the contributions that you make to a Roth IRA, they can be withdrawn tax free, right? So you put the money in there, you're not going to receive an immediate tax benefit. Okay. Um, but the money while it's in there is going to be growing tax free. So who knows? I mean, you might never actually even have an emergency. I know we're saving for an emergency fund, but maybe you might not even need to take that money out for many, many years. So in the meantime, while that money is sitting there, it's and it is accumulating interest or it's growing somehow and it's compounding, it's going to be growing tax free. Now, if an emergency happens, you can withdraw the initial amount of money that you put in, but you cannot withdraw the growth on that money. Okay, so you're basically you're just as well off as if you were putting the money in a savings account. Okay, it's not going to hurt you in any way, but if you have to take it out immediately, but if you don't have to take it out and the money is staying there for a while, then it's accumulating tax free. Okay, and uh, you know, when you do take the money out closer towards your retirement, you can take even the money that is the growth that you've seen on those investments. You can even take that out without any significant tax implications can. Absolutely. And if you're over here in Canada, we have a similar account, but it works in a little bit of a different way. And that's called a tax-free savings account. Now, most of the time, we're going to want to use our tax-free savings accounts in other ways. However, this advice is if you're just getting started, have no other investments, the tax-free savings account is the perfect place to start your emergency fund. And for a lot of the reasons Jeremiah mentioned with the Roth IRA over there, you essentially put after-tax money into this account and any growth you can take out tax-free. So that includes the growth on the contribution as well as the contribution itself. Now, the power of this account, uh, you know, in, uh, in a lot of strategies is to put a lot of high-risk stuff in here. And if it grows to, you know, let's say you buy like a marijuana stock uh, several years ago and it went up from $50,000 that you had in there to maybe a million dollars, you literally can pull out that million dollars the next day you sell that stock, it's tax-free into your account. Whereas in a non-registered account or other uh, registered accounts, you would be paying a hefty tax uh, on that capital gain. But for these purposes, like Jeremiah said with the Roth IRA, you can start using this account where maybe you don't have an emergency. You're going to be able to accrue money, accrue interest, compound it. And once you have enough in that emergency fund and you're at the point where you can actually start using the tax free savings account for potentially more aggressive investments, you can shift that money out. But there's no point in using a non-registered account where you're paying tax if you literally have no other assets. So use the accounts in the proper way and seek an advisor, seek some accounting advice, seek some financial advice to make sure that this is going to make sense for uh, your unique situation. Absolutely, guys. So you know what? I mean, if you've got the tax sheltered accounts available and you've never used them, well, use them to your advantage, you know, because, you know, Uncle Sam wants to get his um, his pound of flesh or whatever every single time. But they allow you to have these tax sheltered accounts. And part of becoming financially prosperous is trying to figure out ways to basically save money on tax, you know? And initially, if you've got, if you're not using these accounts at all, you don't really have any assets saved up, then they're a great place to start 
to invest your money and and house your money however after you've got your emergency fund already in place right perhaps you want to start using those tax sheltered accounts for more aggressive investing like cam was saying you know when you put it into a tax sheltered account you put ten thousand dollars in and it becomes a million dollars you can take that money out without paying any taxes on it so that is a tremendous advantage whereas if it was a million dollars and you had to pay taxes on the growth you know at a 40 percent tax rate that's four hundred thousand dollars that you would be giving to uncle sam you know so if you can take advantage of the tax sheltered accounts do take advantage of the tax sheltered accounts and once again like we said you know uh, find find a financial advisor find somebody to help you out okay and in the next segment after a short break over here we're gonna get into you know whether or not you should use a financial advisor you know or why it is that you should use a financial advisor after the short break so hang in for that guys all right guys welcome back welcome back thank you so much so okay so this segment is all about should you use a financial advisor or not okay so you know what lately financial advisors have been getting a lot of bad publicity okay and uh, this is because a lot of people have been writing books you know uh and using financial advisors as scapegoats for why it is that people aren't you know getting wealthy so tony robbins uh recently wrote a book i can't it's escaping my mind right now but he recently wrote a book now i'm a huge tony robbins fan i consider tony robbins to be one of my mentors i love tony robbins but i think he misses the mark a little bit when he comes to this um you know he basically spends about 150 pages on that book talking about how because financial advisors are charging fees is the reason why people aren't able to get ahead you know and that's not true the reason why people aren't getting ahead and the reason why people aren't becoming financially prosperous is because they're not saving money it doesn't have to do with the, you know, the fact that they're using an advisor. In fact, I can tell you that the vast majority of people that I know that became financially prosperous or actually have a lot of money do use financial advisors. Okay. In fact, it usually works like this. The more money you have, the more financial advisors you have. Like if I had $500 million in assets, I'd probably have about five, six financial advisors. I'd give each one like $75 million to manage for me. Just like I diversify my investments, I'd be diversifying with my financial advisors, Ken. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's actual full-on, full-scale teams of people uh, that are in the high net worth market. I know a couple of them who work there and they do a lot of complex strategies and investment strategies and things like that. And I, I think the key here is you want to choose the right financial advisor versus not having one at all some of the you know when we were working directly in the in the industry uh, for a big firm here in canada some of the best performance uh, of uh, of some of the clients that we've seen from some of the older advisors were people who opened accounts with these advisors and literally forgot about them for 20 or 30 years they had the greatest returns and the greatest wealth actually um, from all of the uh, client accounts, the people who weren't kind of, uh, you know, second guessing their advisors and things like that. So 
that is essentially proof right there that you want to find somebody who's good just because they're a financial advisor doesn't mean they're good. So interview your financial advisor. Interview, mm -hmm. interview several financial advisors. And like Jeremiah said, potentially get a couple of those financial advisors uh, on your team. And not only that, see what kind of access they have and to, to which investment. So what I mean is this, if you have an advisor that's somewhere that's proprietary, that's usually not a good place to put your money unless they have some kind of fantastic, you know, 20, 30 year track records or something like that. But usually you want to go for someone who's independent, who's going to have access to all the products in the market. And they're not going to have any reason to sell their proprietary funds, which may not be so good, but that's the only way that they might make money, right? So you have to be careful for all of these things. We could probably do a whole segment in the future about how to choose a financial advisor. But for our purposes now, it's definitely better to seek some advice, seek some accounting advice as well, because you want to make sure that you're putting the money in to the proper accounts at all times. There's so many rules and laws around taxation and rules on disposition and things like that, that, you know, even as a CFP, there's no way that I can remember all this stuff. I consult with somebody myself. Uh, and for my clients, they all have different situations and have had in the past that you really want to build a team around you like we do. And you want to interview all these people and see how they can help you and what kind of value they can bring to you. Absolutely. And you know what? An advisor can can bring a lot of value to you. Like, you know, full disclosure here, guys, it makes no difference to me whether or not you use an advisor. Okay, I don't make more money if you choose to use an advisor or not. Me and Cam are just giving you the straight goods. You know, we told you that in the first episode that you guys are just going to get it straight from us, right? We're going to tell you guys the truth about everything. Okay. This is the inside information. But the reality is, is that there's a lot that an advisor can do for you. And it's not just that he can literally set up all the accounts. It's not just that he has the knowledge and he can help to uh, show you where to house the money. It's not just that he can uh, set up the, or the right portfolio mix for your goals and objectives. You know, it's not just that he can, you know, literally help monitor those accounts and stay on top of them with you and uh, meet with you in the future. But more than anything else, he's like a financial coach of yours. You know, like an advisor has a vested interest in seeing you be successful in this. The reason why is because the way that advisors usually get compensated is their compensation is uh, based on the assets that they manage. It's like a they make a, a percentage of commission based on the assets that they manage. So if they sit down with you and you have $5,000 in assets, you know, they're making a certain amount of money off you. Not very much, I can assure you. Pretty much um, nothing. Pretty much <laughs> nothing, basically. But, you know, if you do work with them and you guys work together well and you implement some of these strategies that we're talking about with you right now and you guys, you know, after about, say, 10 years, you've accumulated, say, a quarter million dollars. You know, now all of a sudden the advisor is actually making some money, you know, off of that. Okay. And that's why advisors are going to be willing to help you because the more successful you are, the, the more compensation they're going to be getting, you know, but like Cam was saying about how some of the most successful clients that we had were the ones that stayed with the same advisor for 20, 30 years. 
Um, the reason for that is because when it comes to investing, you're your worst enemy. You know, so many studies have shown that because of the herd mentality, remember we tell you guys, don't do what everybody else is doing, you know, do the opposite. So when you hear, oh no, you know what, coronavirus just happened, COVID-19, this is the zombie apocalypse or something, and all of a sudden the stock market crashes, the reason why the stock market is crashing is because so many people are selling their investments at that time, okay? And so the people that actually sold their investments out at that time, right, uh, are the ones that are not gonna be as successful over the long term. The reason why is because unless you do this for a living, unless you do this full time, you're not gonna be able to time the market, okay? So rather than trying to time the market, trying to pick the tops and trying to pick the bottoms, what you wanna do is you wanna spend time in the market, okay? And what your financial advisor, the, the if you ask me, you know, setting up the accounts and doing all that stuff, coming up for a, with a plan for you and all that stuff is huge. But in my opinion, the biggest value that an advisor actually brings is that he will keep you level-headed and cool when the market is falling. Because you turn on the TV, you know, all these news channels and stuff like that, they know that negative news is a lot more popular and it gets them much higher ratings than positive news does. So they're gonna be like, oh, doom and gloom scenario. And so and that's gonna make everybody panic. And at that time, believe me, when it comes to your money, money is a very emotional thing. When it comes to your money and all of a sudden you turn on the news and you see a guy telling you literally that you should be panicking, believe me, a part of you is gonna to start to panic. And if you don't have a financial advisor at that point, you might end up selling at the wrong time, costing yourself thousands of dollars. But if you do have a financial advisor, you're gonna call that guy up and that guy's gonna tell you to take a deep breath and he's probably gonna calm you down. And that's gonna end up saving you thousands of dollars. And that thousands of dollars that he's gonna save you is probably gonna be, um, you know, uh, is gonna be worth much, much more than the actual cost of owning an advisor cam. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, all the concepts and everything that we talk about don't matter if you don't actually stick to them, mm -hmm. right? So everybody knows how to do this stuff or you can find information on how to do these things yourself. The thing is when it actually comes time to do the things, you don't do them. And this is nothing that is, you know, to be ashamed of or anything. This is just human nature. You know, you know, Jeremiah and I, we've been trading for a long time as well. And this rears its head in trading more often than not. Uh, and managing your emotion is the most important thing when it comes to trading and investing, more so than anything else other than time in the market, right? So like Jeremiah said, if you're a professional, then it's definitely possible to make more money and time the market in certain situations, no doubt. But most people aren't in that situation. They're not professionals. They have other vocations and other jobs. And managing that emotion is difficult. And unless you literally practice it and train it over years and years of time, you're not gonna be able to overcome it. But there was a study that said that logic, sorry, that emotion is 18 times stronger than logic. So if you mm. think that you're going to be able to act in a certain way, once that event actually happens, the odds are against you. You know what I mean? So many people know what the right thing to do is or the thing that makes the most amount of sense. 
but when do they actually make those decisions, those logical decisions? It's very rarely. That's why you have a lot of crazy things happening around you all of the time that don't make any sense to anybody, right? It's that emotion over logic. And an advisor is going to help you navigate that. They're going to navigate you away from making a massive mistake. And, and that's absolutely right what Jeremiah said. Uh, and there's actually been done, studies done on this that we've read that state that exact thing that more than anything, it's managing the market, managing that time in the market that's going to get you ahead versus, you know, trying to get an extra couple of percentage points uh, here or there. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know what, we talked about how valuable it can be to actually have an advisor. You know, the important thing is the advisor is going to keep you level headed, help you set up these accounts, come up with a financial plan for you. They're going to make you actually spend time, you know, on this stuff. Like we said, whatever you focus on grows. You know, if you spend time on your finances, you focus on your finances, I can assure you your finances will grow. Now that being said, fees are a concern okay so mm -hmm. you want to make it very very clear to your advisor that you want to know exactly what the fees are and that's why you want to interview maybe two three advisors you should even articulate to the advisor even mention to the advisor that you know what you want to have access to funds that have lower fees okay because the way that it works is fees cut into your rate of return like for example um, if you invest money in some sort of a fund and that fund sees a return of 8%, but that fund has a management fee of 2.5%, then you're going to receive a statement saying that, hey, congratulations, uh, your fund went up by 5.5%. Okay. Now, losing 2.5%, you know, every single time over many, many years is going to add up to a lot of money. It's okay? a lot. A lot. So th that's very, very expensive. You want your fees to honestly be no more than between 1% to 1.5%, okay? So if you talk to your financial advisor and you mention that, yeah, I want to know what the fees are, he's going to know immediately that, okay, you know what, this guy's smart enough to know about fees and that I can't pull the wool over this guy's eyes, you know? And so he's going to make sure that he's able to put you into something that has, uh, you know, lower management fees. The lower the management fee is, the better it's going to be for you because the faster your money is going to be compounding. Okay. All right. Now, the vast majority of people that we know, like I've mentioned already, that are high net worth have financial advisors. Like I said, the more money you have, usually the more financial advisors that you have. You know, can you do it without a financial advisor? You know, sure. Sure you can. Right. But like I said, you know, would I cut my own hair? Right? Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I've seen a guy <laughs> cut my hair every month for 30 years, right? Would I cut my hair? Hell no. So it costs you nothing to have an advisor, right? Um, you know, especially at the early stages, if you don't have a lot of money accumulated, speak to somebody. That guy is going to have a vested interest in your success, okay? Um, and if you're in Canada, if you're looking for an advisor, reach out to us. Uh, at info at the straightmoney.com and we may be able to help you, you know, by helping you find an advisor or helping you find somebody that you can work with. Okay. For, for sure. And I think uh, to add on to that, Yerm, uh, an advisor is important, especially in the early stages. And that's what you said at the end there. Over time, as you learn, if you want to learn more about these things and you get more sophisticated, you'll be able to do more and more things on your own. 
But what you want to avoid at the very beginning of your kind of financial journey is big mistakes, right? There's so many times that we make big mistakes uh, as people, especially in finances, that don't seem to be big or don't even seem to be mistakes at the beginning that end up costing you huge in the future, right? I see this all the time with people not setting up even corporations, for instance, when they should, and they're getting massive tax bills, right? I had a client um, that essentially because he set up a corporation, saved over $80,000 in taxes last year, right? And if he was doing it on his own, like he was, he kept saying, oh, I don't need a corporation. He was just a, you know, he's a one man guy. He has a couple of people working under him and he didn't really want to set it up because he didn't want to pay the extra four or $500 it would be uh, costing him to do a tax return, a corporate tax return, because you need to do two returns when you have a corporation, um, one for your personal, one for your corporation. And that move, right? If he didn't speak with somebody and didn't set that corporation up, that would have cost him $80,000, right? So you don't even know, especially when you're just starting out, what mistake, like you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what mistakes you're making and you could have no idea for a very long time and it'll be too late potentially once you catch that mistake in the future. Exactly, exactly. You know what? An advisor is going to help to educate you and uh, you know just like listening to this podcast is going to help to educate you so listen guys you know what that pretty much wraps it up you know that's our quick and dirty on uh, on how to build an emergency fund you know i know that we gave you guys a lot of information but uh, these were the steps that we believe to be absolutely critical you know uh, in terms of building a foundation for yourself and achieving that goal of financial security which is a tremendous goal that not many people actually get to, that you can 100% absolutely get to. And once you get to that goal, it will be a tremendous achievement for yourself. So if you guys have any questions over what it is that we went over, listen, don't hesitate to reach out to us at info at thestraightmoney.com or leave us a message where you guys are hearing this podcast. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you guys have. Or if you guys have any suggestions, for topics that you'd like covered in the future, please let us know about that as well. So remember guys, you know what? Just give yourselves the feeling of knowing that you have money in the bank, okay? It's a tremendous feeling. It's gonna give you confidence in everything that you do. It's gonna give you options, right? You guys are the ones that are in control of your finances, people. Cam? Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned in the first uh, podcast, I have a set amount of money that I need to have in my accounts. Otherwise I start getting a little antsy, but I know that if I have over that amount, I'm feeling good. I can make moves. I can make decisions. I have breathing room. I have a buffer zone where I can make some mistakes potentially. Maybe I can make some more aggressive investments, right? Maybe I can take some risks over here. Maybe I can build a business or funnel some money into marketing or improving myself. When you have no money, Every single dollar you spend is painful because you know you're usually going into more debt. The worst is spending debt money on things that you don't that are not improving you, right? So put this stuff into place. Don't skip these steps. This is step one, right? Get some version of this going in your life. If you fail to do this and try to go to step two or step three, 
there is a very tiny chance that you might succeed without anything happening to you until that time of success. But if you don't do this step and you happen to be on a path to success because you skipped this step, something's going to derail that and it's going to completely annihilate everything you've built. It takes a long time to build something, but just a few seconds to destroy it. And I'll leave you guys off on that. Absolutely. You know what? There's an old Japanese proverb that says that saving money is like digging in the sand with a needle and that losing money, you know, or spending money is like pouring water on the sand, you know, and that's the truth. I'm going to leave you guys with this thought. If money doesn't bring you financial security first, it brings you nothing. Listen, join us next Friday as we wrap up on how to be financially secure with a segment on income protection. I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your precious days to listen to two guys go on a, on a rant about why you should achieve financial security. I want to thank you once again, everybody out there. Stay safe, stay blessed. Well, that concludes our episode for today. Tune in next time where we're going to be talking about concrete steps that you need to take to get financially secure. I hope that you guys got some value out of this. And if you did, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. If you're hearing this on YouTube, please give us a like, a subscribe. Make sure to hit that bell so you get notified when we produce another value-packed episode. Once again, this was brought to you by Easy Insurance, Vancouver's premier digital life and health insurance agency. Get a free quote at www.easy-insurance.ca.